Welcome to the Conversations with Jesus podcast. I'm Johnny Lehman, a baptized man of God who has the amazing blessings of being a husband, father, and the pastor at Divine Savior Church in West Palm Beach, Florida. This podcast is designed to bring you the self-sacrificing love of Jesus found in the Bible through 15 to 20 minute episodes that focus on relevant life issues and what God has to say about them. Check out our website, DivineSaviorChurch.com, as well as our Facebook and Instagram pages if you'd like to find out more about the incredible things that God is doing through our church family. As we get closer and closer to the best week of the year, Holy Week, we're continuing our Scandal Sermon Series. We've looked at all the ways that Satan is working behind the scenes to stop Jesus, and yet we know Jesus' determination that he would go to the cross and save us from our sins. So this week's theme is the betrayal. So if you remember back to last week, we left Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying, not my will, but yours be done, and now he sees Judas. So Jesus taught that sin loves darkness. It's no surprise then that his betrayal and arrest would take place in the cover of night. But Jesus forces the darkness of sin into the light. His words, you betrayed the Son of Man with a kiss, reveal the scandalous truth that Jesus was betrayed by someone in whom he has put his trust, someone he loved. And yet we see the amazing forgiving grace of our God that Jesus would go to the cross to save us from our sins, to give us hope that is certain and true. I can't wait to dive into this week's conversation with Jesus with you. Don't get nervous, but I have a mini pop quiz for you. If you're anything like me, the second I heard a teacher say pop quiz, so much anxiety, so much stress, I don't want you to have that. It's a very simple quiz. All it is, is I'm going to give you three phrases, and I want you to think to yourself if that phrase comes from the Bible or not. So here we go. First phrase, good things come to those who wait. Second phrase, God helps those who help themselves. Third phrase, what goes around comes around. You are likely on to me, I'm guessing. I know you're probably pretty smart. You can tell. Trick question. Even if you search every page and paragraph of the scriptures, you're not going to find those phrases anywhere. And yet I think it's interesting that many of us have either said these things or thought them, right? Now, if we're talking about the philosophy of karma, these three statements fit right in. Our culture is very experiential. We base much of our life perspective on our outward circumstances. If something goes our way, often we see it as proof of God's love for us. And yet conversely, sometimes things don't go how we had hoped, and we think God is punishing us in some way. See, part of Satan's scandalizing plan is for you and me to search for assurances of God's love in all the wrong places. He uses life circumstances and our own subjective viewpoint to betray our spiritual vision of faith. How can we know with 100% certainty that God loves us? How can you and I know without any doubt that we are friends of God? How can we know and trust Jesus is really who he says he is? The disciples are wrestling with those questions. Now remember where we left them last week. They're passed out sleeping on the grass of the Garden of Gethsemane, exhausted from sorrow When Jesus wakes them up and he says, 
Go to your father, right? He points them away from avoiding their sorrow, but bring it to God. And as Jesus, in the middle, he's right in this conversation, bringing his heavenly father into the lives of his disciples, they hear rustling. And the rustling gets louder. The shadows from the torches start dancing across the olive grove, and then their faces appear. Soldiers, priests, guards, and the disciples are thrown completely off guard, but Jesus stands resolute. He knew what this was about. None of this was unexpected to him, using control. The chief priests had despised Jesus for a long time now, but the disciples' eyes couldn't look away from the man leading this group of 200-plus armed men. It was Judas. It can't be. So they thought. Judas looks at who was once his dearest friend, his rabbi, his teacher, and he approaches Jesus to do something only ever used to show fellowship, friendship, and closeness in their culture. But Judas intends to use the gift of a kiss to betray, to sentence, to execute. As Judas approaches Jesus, it was as if time stood still and just the two of them were there in the garden. And Jesus interrupts Judas's intention and he asks, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Do you see what Jesus is doing? He's trying to speak into the dark place where Judas was. Judas, I know what you came to do and I know what I'm about to do, but Judas, remember, I'm the son of man. And that phrase from Daniel chapter 7, Judas would have known what Jesus was saying. Remember when Jesus said, the son of man has not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is saying to Judas, I'm your Messiah. I'm your Savior. This sin will be paid for. See, Judas for years had grown more and more bitter toward how Jesus handled money. Jesus and his disciples could have been wealthy beyond measure in Judas's mind, but Jesus kept turning wealth away. Judas envied the circumstances of others. He longed to be in the 1%. In Judas's mind, wealth was the only guarantee to know that God favored you, that God loves you, and that God was blessing you. Circumstances dictating certainty. Of course, the reality is, is that Judas' viewpoint of life, it's much the same as yours and mine often is because of our sin. We look to life circumstances to deliver the certainty only Jesus can give. And money isn't the only outside source we look to for security and assurance. We look at relationships. We look at workplace environments. We look inside at our emotions too. In our country, we talk about this identity crisis that especially our young people have, but so many are struggling with it. And the heart of identity crisis, in whatever form that takes, comes from the confused and misguided thought that self-discovery is how we'll know what life is all about. And that we can dictate who we are when only God can do such identity identity giving. When we face adversity, instead of relying on Jesus who brought us to that moment, we put our certainty in our own strength or willpower. We look for circumstantial certainty instead of Savior certainty. But maybe your struggle isn't circumstances-based like Judas's. Maybe it's comparison-based like the disciples. They constantly were comparing their lives with others to find who they were, to find unchanging principles of life. For a minute, let's flash back to Luke chapter 13, the other half of the part of the Bible we're looking at. Two awful tragedies had occurred. A bloody massacre in the temple of God itself, a tower falling on 18 people, killing them instantly. The disciples thought, as did many in their society, there was something wrong with those people that sparked their tragic end. In their schema of life, it made sense that good things happened to good people and bad things happened to bad people. The disciples wanted comparison certainty. 
They were looking for that same comparison certainty in the Garden of Gethsemane. Because all this time, they saw Jesus as the conqueror of Rome, the mighty king who would bring restoration to the kingdom of Israel. They didn't see him for who he really was, the suffering servant Messiah. And so when they see this crowd ready to arrest him, they're ready to fight. They compared Jesus with other kings, and they were missing out on only the certainty that he can bring. They didn't get God's plan and how the cross was everything. It was central to Jesus. So what was Peter communicating when he cut off the high priest servant's ear? He was communicating, this isn't how this is supposed to go, Jesus. You're a king. You can't let them take you captive. Their senses were betraying their faith vision. And to my shame, and maybe you can empathize with me, I can't tell you how many times I've thought that exact thought. This isn't how my life is supposed to go, Jesus. I look at the lives of the people around me and I look for certainty, and maybe you do too. It's this chaotic, stressful search of comparing Facebook highlights, kids' achievements, net worth, square footage of houses, feelings of happiness, having it all togetherness. You get what I'm saying. When we can't find certainty within ourselves, we compare ourselves to others to try to feel like we're okay, that we have a good life, that we're making good decisions, that we're on the right track. But comparison certainty is a misnomer. We end up more lost and uncertain than before. So where can certainty and assurance be found? Where can Jesus and God be truly known? What's the unquestioned path to heaven? There's only one place where it can be found. But here's where our human logic betrays us. We can't find the certainty we long for on our own. Certainty must find us. And he has. With a brawl about to break out, Jesus sees the scandal Satan is enacting and he stops him dead in his tracks by doing something radical, something that betrays logic. Here he is, the almighty son of man, son of God, who could call down infinite legions of angels and wipe all his enemies off the face of the earth. And instead, he says, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Jesus touches and heals a man's ear a man who wanted nothing more than to kill Jesus. Jesus truly loves his enemies. <laughs> he shows where true certainty is found. Him and his word. And like it says here in Luke 22, darkness would reign for this hour, but Jesus was always in control. The certainty of Jesus' triumph was never in doubt. Jesus' patience, his control, and his healing show how different Jesus' plan is. Who he is isn't karma-based. It's grace. And there's just something beautiful about how Jesus handles this. And just think about Judas. Jesus always knew the betrayal Judas would do against him. And yet we see the certainty of Jesus' love in that he never stopped reaching out to Judas. He knew Judas' end, but he never stopped lovingly approaching him and were in action to turn his heart back to the Lord. Now, some would say, that's illogical. Why do you keep reaching out, Jesus, when you know Judas will keep on refusing and rejecting you? He keeps reaching out because that's exactly who Jesus is. No one is a lost cause for him. It's Savior certainty, the constant, unchangeable, compassionate grace of our God. Jesus illustrated that in his parable of the fig tree in Luke 13. Maybe you know the story. 
For years, the farmer kept coming back to this tree and over and over, it never had fruit. He's ready to get the chainsaw out and cut this waste of space, but the vine dresser stops him and says, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. You know what that parable is saying? It's saying Jesus and his grace has certain and changeless patience for you. When you and I get caught up in trying to prove what only grace can give, Jesus sends life circumstances to point us back to his word. His word causes a change of mind, repentance, a confessing moment, a trusting heart. Life circumstances change, emotions swirl, and things come and go, but one thing will never change. The selfless, self-giving, self-sacrificing, saving grace of your Jesus. It's Savior certainty that gives you joy, even when you don't feel happy. It's Jesus who's never giving up type of love tells you that you're forgiven, you're family, and you will always belong to him. It's grace found in God's word that directs our thirst for certainty away from self back to the Son of God. Jesus' patience and powerful grace are there. They're certainly there, and we're convicted by the sin of looking to comparison certainty, and we're convicted there's forgiveness. Now, maybe we haven't had a tower falling on our friends, something the disciples struggled with, right? But we all saw the damage of Hurricane Ian or the tornadoes that just swept through our country or the school shootings that seem to be happening every other week. And it's easy to think God is punishing our country for our sin. But the reality is Jesus already took all of God's punishment we deserve for our sins. He nailed our sins to the cross, finished, done, forgiven. But that begs the question then, why does God permit these effects of sin to happen? He does show to show us where the only true certainty in this dying world is. It's the cross. When God takes away something, it's not to hurt us or to lead us to question everything in life. He gives and takes that we cling to the only thing that lasts beyond death itself, grace. This is where the gift of older experienced Christians come in. And our church family is no shortage of these gifts. I can't tell you how thankful I am to Jesus having sat down with Christian soldiers of the faith in their 70s, 80s, 90s, or young people that have gone through extreme levels of adversity. These And to hear these men and women talk about some of the darkest and hardest moments of their lives. But they always frame it. In the sense that these were some of the best blessings Jesus ever gave them. It doesn't make sense. But for the Christian, it does. Those moments were blessings because they cleared the uncertain clutter of life and the clarity of Christ broke through. Jesus' patience and his persevering grace for us turn our minds and hearts back to him. The certainty of what God has said that will remain forever. And so we stop looking to circumstances and emotions to give us what only God's grace can. So how does knowing the certainty of the cross affect how we process and go through the uncertainties of life? It takes the pressure off. It reminds us that our emotions and logic will betray us at times, but Jesus' unchanging words of grace and promise will never fade away. Knowing the crystal clarity of grace leads us to look first to God when a big decision is weighing on us. Decisions like, should we have another baby? What medical plan should we use to treat my AFib? How will I adjust to the new place we move to? How will I handle the disconnect in my family? Grace leads us away from trying to find answers inwardly or outwardly. And instead, the Holy Spirit puts his word on our minds and hearts. We open the certain scriptures and we realize who is always in control. Just like Jesus was always in control in the Garden of Gethsemane, even when our human senses wouldn't think so, he is in control even if it feels like life is stacked against us.
The certain reality is this. This is the bottom line. We have Jesus on our side. We are always in a position of strength because Jesus will never leave us. He has won the war. It's certain. We are never victims. We are victors through Jesus. That's a fact. So my dear family, let's run to the certainty of the scriptures. Let's never let life circumstances betray what our hearts of faith know to be true. Jesus has won. Grace is ours. We are not alone. We know who we are. And we trust and we know what God's word says is true. And you know what that word says about you, dear child of God? It says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And I I love this phrase in 1 John. And that is what we are. That is Savior certainty. That's what you have in Jesus. That's a certainty that we get to live by, trust in, and will lead us home. Amen. I seriously love getting to bring these messages from the scripture to you every single week. Thank you so much for listening. It means the world to me. God be with you as you live for him, trusting and knowing in the certainty of love that you have in your Savior Jesus.